Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. I'm Juliana. And I'm Adriana. We're really excited to bring another three-person episode. All three of our hosts are here today, and we are going to talk about the pursuit of joy in your life. And Sophie has a fun story to share about her thoughts on this topic. <laughs> well, I was just I was just mentioning before we started hitting record that actually I've been through a bit of a journey on this one because when I think Adriana, you were the first one to propose that we do this topic um, for season three. I was a little skeptical. I was honestly like, I don't know if this is a good idea because at the time I was having, it was during Lent, I was having a really hard time of it working harder than I've had to throughout all of my PhD. I was really lonely in Cambridge and like there were still like long dark nights and cold days and um, yeah, just feeling like I didn't even know what joy was. I really had to ask myself, is it true that I can have a conversation about this and not just be like, all right, please tell me what joy is because I have no idea. (laughs) But it really made me ask consistently over the course of the last couple months, do I experience joy? Do I know what joy is? And is it the same thing as happiness? Because I wasn't happy, but it was in really taking seriously this question and persistently looking for joy, even in the midst of what objectively were really difficult circumstances that I honestly wanted to run away from, that I was able to discover something there that I wouldn't have been aware of if I hadn't been asking this question, if I hadn't been seeking a joy that can persist even amid suffering and dryness and difficulty. And so now that I'm, yeah, Easter season just has been full of just abundant consolation and so many little miracles that have filled me also with so much happiness. And so now it's a new challenge of, is this just happiness or is there a joy underneath? Is there something more to this than just the skin deep emotion of rejoicing at certain circumstances in my life that are exactly what I desire? It's been a bit of a journey, but I'm really looking forward to sharing some insights and hearing some insights from you guys as I try to make sense of exactly this, what joy is and how I can follow it in my life in times both of difficulty and pain, but also when the Lord does make my cup overflow, so to speak. I love that so much. One, because I deeply resonate. I have my own stories of seasons of darkness and just feeling really spiritually dry in in recent times. And it just reminds me so much of Father Giussani's quote, like the real protagonist of history is the beggar, Mm. in that like we can't make ourselves happy. Mm -hmm. And I think, Mm -hmm. not to be like elusive, but we just got a puppy, which is a great joy. (laughs) But the puppy's actually been very difficult for me. And he bites the kids all the time. Yikes. It's gotten a lot better. So it (laughs) – We're on an upward trajectory, but there was a time where I had like was filled with puppy regret and (laughs) thought we'd made a mistake and felt like very (laughs) stuck in my circumstance. Yeah. And one of my friends asked me, like, how is this affecting your spiritual life? And I felt like it was this real question of from Genesis, really, of like God being like, where are you, Adam? Mm. God knows where Adam is. He's like asking Adam if Adam knows where Adam is. And I felt like it was that happening to me of like, well, where am I? Mm -hmm. And I had stopped living my days asking of the infinite to meet me and instead was like, can I just get through this? I just need to get through this with the puppy. Like, I can't deal with this. I don't want him, but I'm just going to like keep moving forward and 
hope this just goes away mm-hmm. and not at all looking for the infinite in my reality and not wanting to be in the present moment. And that left me so empty. And I realized like I can't live like this without an awareness of the reality in front of me. I guess I can survive, but I, I can't experience joy that way. Yeah. That's a beautiful example of what every single person knows to be true from her own experience. And that is that we are made for this. The deepest desire of our heart is for joy because our deepest desire is for God and we are made for eternal bliss with him. Like the psalm says, um, at your right hand, happiness forever. And I had a conversation once with somebody and it really moved me. And this was a number of years ago, but it was a person who had strayed from his faith and was curious about returning, interested in returning. And he came to me and asked if it was okay to pursue Christ and to come back to the church just because he wanted to be happy. Oh, wow. His sense was that he had to come, like you were saying, Adriana, like I get through it because it's the right thing to do because I signed up for this and I have to do this or some like overarching sense of morality. And um, he almost felt like it was unusual or impermissible to just pursue a desire of the heart. This always stuck with me because it's so true. Like we all have this desire on our heart as well as our desires for love and for beauty and for companionship and for eternity. And all of these things are beautiful and good and meant to be pursued because they lead us to God, who is the source of all good things. I wanted to bring that up at the start of our conversation because I think that this question, what does it mean to be joyful and how can I become joyful is at the core of the Christian life and is at the core of our hearts. And if we can find the answer, if we can be faithful to the answer, then that's everything. Yes. It really is so simple. And I'm grateful for what you shared because it's helping me make sense of my experience of these last 10 days. I've had a visit with a dear friend of mine, very best friend in the world who I hadn't seen in three years. And she came to spend 10 days with me. And they have been the 10 most joyful days of my whole life, at least uh, since my hippocampus was developed and I've been able to form memories, like the most (laughs) joyful days of my life. Close to the end of her visit, I started getting sad, not to have like a sense of foreboding, but a real sadness that was haunting me. Um, And it was in prayer before the Lord that I realized what I needed to acknowledge to myself in order to look at this, what was happening full in the face and to be able to confront exactly what was unfolding in my life was exactly this realization that you're talking about, Julie, that actually I'm made for happiness. I'm made to be this happy and actually happier eternally. And I want that more than anything. And that's not something separate from my pursuit of Christ or meaning or truth or morality. Like Mm -hmm. the father sent Christ to announce to each one of us, to announce to me that what I long for, the fulfillment that I want is possible, Mm -hmm. that he constitutes my fulfillment. Um, And by following him, I will have, as you said, at his right hand, happiness forever. And to your point, Adriana, like my instinct is to flee my circumstances, to not look at the fact that she's leaving or to try to find some way to just like, whatever, follow her to Florida. But actually what my heart wants is to find the same joy that I have in looking at reality with her by my side, even when the Lord asks us to be apart. It's not changing my circumstances that's going to answer this desire, but it's Christ present in the flesh today. And the reason her companionship makes me so joyful um, is because she opens my eyes to his presence. And it's, it's him. 
he is the one who is answering my desire through her. And it's such a liberation to be able to name this and to now be able to say to the Lord, like, okay, I want to be this happy always. I want to be this joyful always. Um, So what are you going to do about it? Like, help me follow you because this is the only place my happiness is going to come from. Mm -hmm. I guess that raises a question for me, though, that I think I may have obscured in my intervention just now, which is the relationship between happiness and joy. What is that relationship? Are they coextensive? I don't think so, but I don't think they're unrelated either. So how would we sort of parse that distinction? Yeah, it's definitely nuanced because you have this subjective experience of happiness, which is fleeting and is made up of different components, Mm -hmm. your circumstances, your genetics, and your habits, I think. There's a Harvard professor that teaches a class on happiness, and he says those are the three components. Hmm. So there's parts that are out of your control. And then the reality is that like many of us experience periods of suffering and external suffering and like this experience with your friend and your departure from her, like it's normal to grieve that. Yeah. I had a religious sister, Sister Faustina, she's a sister of life, say to me when we were parting once and we both were crying, she said, it's normal that we should grieve. The human heart isn't meant for separation. We're meant for eternal relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's normal for you to be like in this period of grieving and not like have these feelings of elation and happiness. And yet to be able to have Christ in the center and see that he's the source of that joy can be sustaining amidst periods of grief Mm -hmm. and a lack of just that subjective happiness. Mm -hmm. Julie, any thoughts? I I completely agree with everything Adriana was saying. I also do think that Sometimes our experience of joy is intertwined with an experience of happiness, but not always, and it's not dependent on that feeling. Mm -hmm. When it does manifest itself as a feeling, it's a feeling greater than happiness. It's deeper. It's more permanent. I I always really love the line in 1 Peter, and he says, rejoice with an inexpressible joy touched with glory. Yes, I was thinking about that too. Yeah, I, I love that line because... You're experiencing joy. It's inexpressible. It is. Yeah. You can't even put words to it because it is something that doesn't come from us and and we can't make it and it's given Mm -hmm. by God. And it's touched with glory because that's who God is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I think that that's like the best description. I can't come up with anything better than St. Peter. (laughs) Um, But yeah. I guess I'm helped in answering this question by experiences that I've had in the past and then seeing loved ones as well when I would say they were objectively in a period of great joy. Um, and weirdly enough, one of the things that came to mind was my my father and Julie's father when he was going through chemo. Mm-hmm. He was really joyful from the first day that he shared his diagnosis with us. I remember we going on a we were going on a walk. I'd just gotten back from Israel. I was jet lagged and so disoriented. And one of the images that is burned into my mind is his smile and his peace when he was telling me about his tumor and that he was going to start chemo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was maintained even when he started going blind from you know, as a side effect of some of the treatments and and these various very difficult symptoms that he was going through. It was so clear to me that he was joyful, that the Holy Spirit was at work in him and it was present in this fruit in his life, this peace, this serenity, like a child at rest in its mother's arms, as, as the Psalm says. So I think for me, as I'm thinking about the relationship between joy and happiness, because that certainly wasn't a happy time that he and my mother and the rest of the family look back on with like, oh yeah, those were the days. Mm-hmm. And so too in my life, like I've seen 
joy is this certainty that the Lord has laid out a path for me and I'm walking on it. And so I think what enabled my father to have joy in that time was the clarity with which he perceived this illness as an event allowed by the Lord to bring my father closer to him. And that by going through the treatment and giving him his body over to fighting the disease and to the limitations that it was going to impose on his life, that he was actively participating and walking on this path and that that's what gave birth to joy. And it was in, as you were saying, I think, Julie, you, you said that joy is more permanent than happiness and deeper. And I think that's a perfect way to look at it because in time, by following the path that increases your joy, I found in my own life that this can also bring happiness in time, whereas following the happiness does not bring joy in time. Um, and so it's almost like joy is the tree and happiness is the flower. And so if you go around chasing the flowers, you're never going to have a tree that's robust and that can withstand the storms of life. But if the tree is nourished, it will flower even after a really difficult winter. So I don't know if that image resonates with you. Yeah, no, it does. It makes me think of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Mm. You know, Jesus says, you drink of this water and you'll be thirsty again. And she says, give me the living water, like give me this water. And joy is the fulfillment of the des- of our desires, the desires of our heart. Yeah. And if we just follow our happiness, I think we know from experience, that's what you're saying. Or I would, I propose to like really look at your own experience and is that actually satisfying everything to you? Yeah. And for me, when I've followed my happiness, that has made me happy for a time when I've only followed, I guess, the pleasures of this life. But I've always come to a crossroads mm. where I like, I see so clearly that my desire is for more. It's unquenchable. Mm-hmm. And I can like either stand before that like Nietzsche and like total despair at the human condition. <laughs> yep. Or I can like look to Christ and and there's a beauty in in that intensity. Because seeing like both alternatives, I think you just like see more clearly. I also wanted to add that I think, as we said, that Christ like so dearly desires and delights in our happiness and in merrymaking. Yeah. I uh, was reflecting a lot on the wedding at Cana and that being Jesus's first miracle. Mm-hmm. And partially because I'm reading Brothers Karamazov right now and there's a chapter on the wedding of Cana and the protagonist of the book is he says something like, not grief, but men's joy was what Christ visited when he worked his first miracle. Yes. And that was just so touching to me that Christ came and delighted even in just turning water into wine at a poor couple's marriage festival. And that that's a delight to him. And that's true for me now in all of the details of my life, that he delights in being the bridegroom and wooing us And that's all through scripture. So how does this change the way that you like, you know, to circle back to what you were talking about before, how is this different now with this understanding of the wedding at Cana, of Christ's desire for you to have joy? What does that change about your experience of adopting a puppy? Where the rubber hits the road, how does this unfold in your life? Yeah, you know, it seems so silly. Like I'm embarrassed of it myself, like especially hearing I experienced too when your dad went through cancer treatment. And my most recent suffering is the puppy. But I really experienced it deeply. And I think it was helpful to confront my own like nihilistic tendencies Mm. and be really honest about that. Totally. And to realize 
that that is the road that I will most commonly walk down unless I beg for Christ and beg for him to meet me and give me a new vision and to like help me live in each moment and to look for him. Because if I refuse to do that, he's not going to force my hand. Mm. So I suppose that's where the rubber met the road for me. Like I can't change this circumstance and I can't like magically make our puppy stop biting our kids or something. But I can at least live honestly and live in the moment and hope that Christ meets me there. And I, and I found that he does. He always does. He does. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts in response to that question, Sophia, which is, I think, one that we should all be asking ourselves. But I think the promise of joy and my confidence in Christ as the bridegroom reveals to me that nothing is small anymore. Mm. In fact, the things that seem the smallest are the most important and mysterious because he came to glory the little. Like, as Adriana said, you know, the wedding day of a poor couple, he lived a hidden life with his mother and father doing ordinary work for 30 years. And in my own life, that's where he meets me. He meets me like this morning. My greatest experience of joy was giving a bath to my daughter. And oh. I have done some cool things before. Like I've gone on cool trips or I've gotten cool jobs, even jobs I really enjoy. And I have been taught through my experience that the little is what makes me happy. And all of these things that the world offers to me and all the things I fall for over and over again, they have never been satisfying to me. And I know that. And so I can be faithful to my own experience and to what it has taught me and to look for him in the ordinary. Not to say that he doesn't work through those greater things in my life, but they're often just like flashy distractions. And he doesn't even want me to have my attention on them. Mm -hmm. And I think that the other thing that's a great comfort to me through all of this. So right now I'm facing doubts on my heart about a particular decision that will arise in the future. And when I want to worry about that, I can continually go back to the truth that Christ is showing me his face in these ordinary moments and he's leading me through my desire to joy. And so as long as I follow him, it doesn't matter. I don't need to worry about those things because he will bring me mm -hmm. to himself. Like all I have to do, this desire for joy is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And if I'm faithful to it within the guardrails set up by God and by his church, then it will all work out. I love what you're both saying because it makes me think about poverty, as you were saying, Julie, what you desire is Christ. And so following him in these little moments that you two, Adriana, were talking about, that is what will lead you to the eternal joy that you long for and the glimpses of it already now that we experience that constitute our greatest happiness in this life. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes me think, again, like about my friend who's visiting, what I want is Christ. It's not to possess her. It's Christ who reaches me through her. And Jusani says that joy is a feeling possessed only by the poor because it's only the poor who place their hope in what's given to them by God. Only the poor can have joy. Only the poor can have joy. And this reminds me of Mother Mary Frances, a favorite spiritual author of ours. The joy with which she writes leaps off the page. And she was an abbess of poor Claire's who, for our listeners who don't know, are Cloistered nuns who live the most austere form of poverty of basically any kind of religious. And they have nothing. They're penitents by their calling. They are to complete in their own flesh what's lacking in the, in the sufferings of Christ by owning nothing, by renouncing every earthly good. 
And yet, the way that she writes about their life, it's so clear to me that these women have a joy in their heart that surpasses that of my own, you know, and that I want. Yeah, and so reflecting on what both of you are saying helps me see that it's because their hope is in what's given by God. And what's given by God is Christ on the cross. That's for us. That's for us today. That's something that's possible in every circumstance. And if we remain faithful at the foot of that cross— that's also where Christ rises, that it doesn't end there, but it ends in resurrection. Um, and that's only possible if we remain and watch and wait at the cross. So as you said, Adriana, like not censoring our moments of sadness or disappointment or desire and longing, um, but really remaining there and asking to see the resurrection. Yeah, putting our trust in what's given by God. Yeah, I love what you're saying about Mother Mary Francis and Father Giussani saying, only the poor are joyful those who possess nothing, because only then can you really recognize that everything is gift mm-hmm. and everything you do, you know, like St. Therese of Lisieux, seeing so clearly that any good she accomplished was Christ accomplishing it, not her. Only in like a pure poverty of heart can that be possible. Yes. Yeah. I want to have those experiences more where I'm so aware that even like the small good that I've done that day was gift because left to my own devices. I mean, I was joking like with you before we started recording like my own being like horrified by myself at my impatience or yeah. what I'm, yeah, when I'm just on my own, I just like, I see my limits so clearly and it's almost comical. I guess I hope Christ laughs, but um, <laughs> same. <laughs> I love the relationship between poverty and real Christian joy. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think for sure of the Christian martyrs and how they could live resurrection as they pursued their own Good Friday. Mm. And I think in this life, that's the reality that we never experience the resurrection without Good Friday. Christian joy in this life will always include the experience of suffering, but that joy is still possible. Mm-hmm. This is a really beautiful reflection on poverty and To be joyful, you need to have a poor heart. A related truth is that you need to have a servant heart. You know, once again, looking to Christ as our model, he washed the feet of his disciples. He put himself at their service, culminating in the gift of his own life Mm -hmm. for his brothers and sisters. Um, And I think this truth is verified in my own experience too, that as sacrificing my life and my time and my body and whatever I have for others, it is a path to joy for me, Mm -hmm. particularly when it's lived in the memory of Christ. I think for me, the clearest example of this was becoming pregnant with my daughter and giving birth to her. I remember thinking like it was such an honor to give my body for the life of another in the most literal sense, not to the point where I died, but my body is permanently changed for her. And I remember childbirth and the weeks immediately following that were so painful, like just at the same time realizing the deep honor it was to give my body like Christ gave his body um, and to say over and over again to her, this is my body given up for you. That's a big example, a dramatic example. But I think that it's true in like all the smallest ways too. Like who of us does not love giving a gift to someone that we love or doing something nice for them or making a nice meal for them um, and finding joy in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly do. And I think 
not always because I'm a very flawed human being. But when I'm looking at it for what it is, I can rejoice in the opportunity to serve another and to kind of like subordinate myself and my desires for another and for ultimately for God. For a greater love. Yeah. Joy is in love and in service. Which shows that sacrifice is not an obstacle to joy, which I think is critical and goes against at least the way that I think about where my happiness is going to f- come from. Sacrifice is not an obstacle. It's in saying yes to the sacrifice asked from another that we can regain our peace. Yes. Totally agree with everything you're saying. I love your reflection on labor, Juliana. That too for me was a really powerful experience that like no suffering is meaningless. And that poem you were quoting, nothing again would be casual or small. Nothing is meaningless, like not even our suffering. And it's so obvious in childbirth, but that that's possible in any suffering. Mm -hmm. He's using everything to like reach out to us, to offer us opportunities like for him to meet us and for us to seek him. Mm -hmm. I... Would be curious, though, to hear your experiences of what threatens your joy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I think, as I mentioned before, um, running away from suffering or taking it on kind of voluntaristically in an endeavor to achieve some image that I have of who I'm supposed to be. Both of those are things that steal my peace and my joy. Um, because ultimately, at the root of it, both of them is a gaze that looks at myself mm. and either looks at my own comfort or looks at my own coherence and my own like moral integrity as something that I can achieve on my own. Yeah. So it's pride ultimately, which is the root of all sin, but particularly all of the sins of Sophia. Um, <laughs> and here I'm really, <laughs> I guess a final thing that I would add that steals my joy is complaining and gossiping and sins of speech. Um, And this is something that applies to thoughts, too, even if I don't share it with others. But it's dwelling on negative circumstances or observations about things or other people or myself um, in a manner that really it not only fosters judgment of other people and of myself, but also fosters this attitude of my circumstances are the problem. Mm. That if this was taken away, if this person was different, if this sin of mine I didn't struggle with anymore, then I could be happy. And as soon as I have like Hmm. a conditional if-then statement on my joy, then I know what I'm seeking isn't joy. It's just a happiness according to my own image. So I guess those are the two things, like looking at myself pridefully and then also attachment to my own images of happiness that lead me to look with a negative lens on the circumstances of my life. That resonates with me so deeply. I appreciate you so much for sharing, especially complaining. It made me immediately think of St. Teresa of Lisieux. I think she was 12 and she said that she fasted from complaining and the growth and virtue she experienced from that fasting. That moment I was like, wow, she's so far (laughs) ahead of me in the spiritual journey. Like what a gift it would be to me if I fasted from complaining. So often when I'm complaining, it's also out of this pride because I think I deserve more than the circumstance that's being given to me. Mm. I'm, you know, better than this or like I don't deserve this. And that's my approach and it leads me to complain about it rather than just live my circumstance. And I'm talking about like really ordinary things that now like totally ordinary. deep injustices that I don't deserve. No, like getting one less hour of sleep than I would like. Like yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're very banal in this in this household. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I also, Sophia, I'm glad you brought up images because that's immediately what I thought of as I'm so vulnerable to images. And what I mean by that is like negative patterns of thought. They could take the form of if only I was in this circumstance or that circumstance or if I was like that person or if I had more of that virtue, then I would be joyful. I would, And that's not even necessarily always a comparison to other people. It can be comparison to different points in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we started recording, we were just sharing the the new experiences, we'll put it that way, of, of living the triduum with young children. And even that is like a temptation to an image to me to say like, if only I didn't have, if I wasn't a mom, if I didn't have young kids, then I would be able to like finally learn how to pray, be able to remain faithfully in the presence of God. That's not true. My circumstances are the path to him, not an obstacle to him. That's honestly just a cowardly way of looking at my circumstances. That's I'm just pushing off joy to tomorrow or Mm. to next year or to 10 years from now, and I'll never attain it. Yeah. One thing I've found, too, that really can steal my joy is my tendency to escape my circumstance. I probably mentioned this a lot in this podcast, but just even like through my phone, mm. I struggle just habitually in the mornings with waking up. And if it's earlier than I want it to be, my tendency to turn to my phone or look at my emails to just do something other than be present to my reality mm-hmm. and how quickly that empties me. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, I'm like unable to face the day. I've heard just in Different circles, I suppose, like different theories around escapism as a technique for dealing with with your life. Like obviously it's a coping mechanism. But I think in looking at my own experience, that's all, that using escapism as a technique for coping doesn't recharge me. Mm -hmm. It is true that in the moment, yes, I've escaped whatever I'm trying to escape. But it's also true that I'm less able to face the day. It's far more rejuvenating for me to look within my circumstances and see that, yes, the reality is that I have these two babies at home and a puppy. I have a lot on my plate. But within that, I can go for a walk and pray a rosary. Mm -hmm. Or I can ask my husband for some time when he gets home from work and go off by myself and pray. And if I have... Even just these tiny moments that are so much less quantitative time than the time I'd spend distracted or escaping, I can then face my day new Mm. and live it with just this deeper stability and deeper peace. That's beautiful and so simple. And it reminds me of what we've said before that our issue is not the condition of our eye cow, but the condition of our soul. (laughs) That really it is possible to live this way no matter what our circumstances are. And to your point about, I mean, when you wake up in the morning, you desire happiness. Yeah. If you're feeling exhausted and overwhelmed or like you'd rather go back to bed, you desire happiness all the more. Um, And so turning to your phone in that way, like, is part of your search for happiness. And so I guess I would say what's really helpful for me is looking at, okay, well, does this help me look for happiness throughout the rest of my day? And as you said, like, not really if it doesn't recharge you Mm -hmm. and instead it drains you or distracts you from your circumstances. I was really helped by, I think something Caron, the former leader of Ciel said, 
back in 2017, he was talking about like, when you wake up in the morning, where do you expect the fulfillment of your life to come from? Mm. Is it from you and what you can do? Or is it from the mystery, the fact that you're going to encounter in your day? And so he was encouraging everyone to start their morning with praying the Angelus um, instead of immediately going to their work or to their emails or whatever, solving the problems of the day as if that's what was going to bring you joy. Instead, begging to experience the event of the incarnation. And in this Easter season, I've woken myself up now by singing softly the <laughs> the Regina Chaley, which is it's a hymn that starts, Queen of Heaven, Rejoice. And like, no matter what terrible mood I'm in or like, I mean, which hasn't happened often these days, but sleep deprivation has happened. <laughs> and yet by singing to myself, like queen of heaven rejoice, I can't help but rejoice myself, remembering the event of the resurrection and saying like, oh shit, this is what I want from my day. It's to see <laughs> that the Lord has risen, not to have my supervisors off my back and to have a delicious breakfast and like plenty of time for leisure. Actually, what corresponds to my desire is to experience the event of the resurrection. And as we've said so many times already on this podcast, it's through remaining at the foot of the cross. Um, and so it's not evading my circumstances or distracting myself from what's difficult, but seeking the face of Christ in them. And prayer, as you said, Adriana, prayer really helps me with that. And so prayer gives me joy. The other thing I'd say, as I've said again, um, in reference to my friend Jessica's visit, like friendship helps me with this too. Looking at my friends who are joyful and trying to find the source of their joy and also just walking with them and, and having them as companions on this own journey. But what would you add to that list then? What gives us joy and gladness? I think to add on to prayer, this is actually something that you've really helped me with, Sophia. You really emphasized morning prayer. You said in your episode on prayer that you thought that was, if you're going to start with the liturgy, the hours to start there. Yeah. I've always had a practice of evening prayer, but not morning prayer, partially because I struggle in the mornings. Your prompting inspired me to take that more seriously, like even just a short morning offering prayer. Mm -hmm. And to ask to start my day that way has been really a transformative, like very slowly, but that move instead of checking my phone mm -hmm. is, I think, a truer way to start your day and to like reorient your vision in some direction. Yeah. For me, one thing that comes to mind, and I'm sorry, I know that I've said this. This is another thing I've said before on this podcast, but I have to say memory. Like, mm. I, okay, so I was a math major. I have a logically oriented mind. Yeah. And so I can look to my past and say like, this has made me joyful. This has made me joyful. This has made me joyful. This has not. This has not. This has not. And then to learn from my own experience in that way and then to trust like I'm not insane. Like I really did experience joy from this yeah. yesterday. And so I'm going to try again. <laughs> Things have not changed. Um, yeah. And so I think that's what helps me like stay with my feet on the ground when presented with these like flashy distractions and to say, no, like you didn't make me happy before and I'm not going to fall for it again. And instead, when faced with the cross or when, when faced with my circumstances or whatever, and to think like, yes, being faithful to my circumstances has made me happy in the past. And I can trust again, like trust in Christ, trust in what he has taught me mm. through his words and through my own experience and to just remain faithful. Beautiful. What you're both saying gets to the fact that it's Jesus who makes us happy. 
And it's our attachment to him that is the substance of our memory. Like, what are you recalling but the relationship that the mystery has initiated in your life? Mm -hmm. Right. And what are you renewing but exactly what St. Peter says to Jesus on the shore of Galilee? Like, yes, Lord, I love you. I'm incoherent and I betray you. I'm kind of afraid of, but I love you. And it's renewing that memory that gives St. Peter the joy and the gladness that enabled him to be crucified in imitation of his Lord, actually upside down because he was so full of love for the one who had died for him that he felt himself unworthy to die in the same position. Like it's memory of your relationship to Christ that renews your strength to follow joy, even if when it means going to the cross. Can I say too, I think comes at a natural point in our conversation. I wanted to also touch on and hear your thoughts on the relationship between joy and evangelization Hmm. Um, because joy is made to be shared and we see this in the most mundane of examples like you see a good movie and you you want your friends to see it and acts of the apostles is full of these incredible stories of evangelization like these men and women who had seen God die for them and then rise again and then they're so full of zeal to share that uh, with everyone they meet because of their joy right it's like they experience joy they experience God and then they want to share that with everybody so uh, how have you seen your joy move you towards evangelization towards um, sharing it with others I think for me that's so clear in my own memory my own narrative of my conversion journey it was really pivotal with two friends I made at Notre Dame my freshman year who were so faithful, so radiant in their joy and in their practice. Like I had never even heard of daily mass and they were just like going after class and I was astonished and um, they ended up getting married to one another. Mm. They were so generous in giving me insight into their intimacy and that was very astonishing to me by like the practices of chastity and the joy they just like the love they still had for one another and knowing like how much more that would be fulfilled on their wedding day. And I was not coming from that background of thinking that that would be attractive. Mm-hmm. But seeing them like bear that witness to me, it was undeniable. And I just one day asked them, just like, can you help me to learn about this? Like, you have something that I want. I want to be able to live that way too. And I don't know how. And that was a slow journey of, you know, inching forward, and it's still a slow journey. But my own memory of that, I think, like, spurs me on even now. It's often my prayer for for friends or when we moved here to Boise just to make a friend. And I have my husband, Brian, who's, of course, such a dear friend. But I recognize the importance of Christian friendship and like people walking along on the journey with me mm-hmm. to re-evangelize me. And I think for the resurrection to keep happening. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your question, Julie. I It's providential that you brought it up because I've been thinking a lot about this and basically it's just generated more questions. Like, what do I do with this joy that's been given to me? Because I can't, these hands that have received it can't be still. I need to be giving it to someone. I need to be doing something. Like, I feel like I love that in the gospels in this Easter season, it's like everyone's running everywhere. I'm like, yeah. yes, this is the vibe. <laughs> like, I feel like I just want to be running around, like shouting at people. The risk is though that like, I don't know in what direction, you know what I mean? Like, where am I running? To whom am I running? And what am I proclaiming? And so this is a huge question of mine. And I'm helped in particular by looking at the accounts of the saints because they 
all of them, like, were able to proclaim and bear witness by their lives, no matter what the circumstances were, the Lord's invitation to them to evangelize was was clear and objective and something asked of them and not something they voluntaristically created according to their own image. So I mentioned before we started recording um, Maximilian Kolbe, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and his joyful witness in the camp at Auschwitz in going to his death in the place of another. Again, like, not happy because he loved life, but not mourning in the negative sense either, going rejoicing as to his own marriage. And he was able to bear witness, so much so that even the man he, you know, ransomed by his life was present at his canonization and bore witness to this fact. Like, this is what I want, but it has to be through an invitation of another. And so this is a question I'm going to keep pondering, especially in wake of these really joyful days with my friend. Like, this is something that I want everyone to experience. And My joy is magnified or even like multiplied in these ways that during our visit together, we've been able to invite other friends into this joy because it's not just for the two of us. Mm -hmm. The more it's shared, the more it grows. And that's so counterintuitive. And so, yeah, I don't have an answer for you, but I guess I would just hold up like the saints show us that it's always an invitation of another. And my experience shows me I have a need to give it away or my joy decreases until it dies. Um, And so it's urgent that I understand how it is that the Lord's inviting me to communicate it to others. So this is a huge question that I'm taking with me um, in the weeks to come. Yeah, I'm always comforted too that I'd so desire to see the fruits of my labor all the time. (laughs) But I'm so comforted by community liberation and just like the emphasis on friendship. And the gradual revelation that unfolds in our lives, Mm -hmm. how slow things are. And it's not always that way, but to be really patient in my friendships and to love that person's freedom, Mm -hmm. ask myself to love their freedom as much as Christ loves their freedom and to trust that that will be the pathway to them meeting him. That's so hard for me because I would love to like... And my fallenness, like love more than anything to take away everyone's freedom, probably <laughs> yeah. just like for the sake of salvation. Like the Grand Inquisitor and yes, yes, the was, Brothers Karamazov. If that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a beautiful place to maybe start wrapping up our episode because it makes me think about the fact that our own joy isn't just for ourselves, but is actually ordered towards love, um, towards the eternal joy of everyone around us, in our families, in the Christian community, beyond the Christian community. Like this is... To ask for this for ourselves is also asking for that to come to the whole world. Um, And so in this sense, it really is to go back to where we started, like begging. It is prayer to ask for our own happiness. It's not individualistic self-seeking. It's really begging that Christ come to the whole world. Mm -hmm. Do we have a media recommendation and a weekly challenge for our listeners? Well, I think an obvious one that's come up throughout the episode, Brothers Karamasov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. If you haven't read it, it is a long novel, but I'm almost finished with it right now and very transformative. It is so beautiful and there are many occasions to reflect on joy. Our younger brother's reading it now and it's been amazing to see how it's shaping his discernment of what he wants from college and, and all of this. So no matter what stage of life you're at or what your questions are at this given time, like I think it's a really fruitful thing to read. In terms of our weekly challenge, I'd invite our listeners to really do a life review and spend time thinking about what stages, what experiences, what relationships have been the greatest sources of joy for you. Um, And to ask the Holy Spirit to shed light on 
in view of the truth of where your joy comes from, what is the Lord inviting you to do? How is the Lord inviting you to seek more truly that own joy for yourself and share the light of that joy with others? Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. As ever, you can find us on our website um, or our email. Write to us with your own experiences of joy or otherwise, pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Please do, if you have a moment, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts as this helps other listeners find us. Know of our prayers for your joy, everyone. <laughs>